Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Joining us on the podcast once again today, a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you know him as the director of tennis and head coach of the Oklahoma State Women's Tennis Program. Please welcome back Chris Young. Coach, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Good to be on. I mean, it's uh, it's nice that I made it a second time. So first time <laughs> Didn't scar you too bad, so uh, looking forward to doing it again. I am still in recovery, I won't lie. Getting out of uh, Oklahoma State after the National Indoors, I don't know if you've heard stories about that drive the next Monday morning, but I don't think you guys had ever seen snow before, and there was like a sheet of ice, and just, I mean, I'll never forget it. We were safe, we were fine, it was great, but it was it was a way to start the morning. It was, it was delightful. It was. I mean, that weekend, the weather was great until that night. And then that night, something, you know, from the apocalypse came upon us. And, uh, you know, there was a couple of teams that were stuck here a couple of days. So I had to make sure they had what they needed because, you know, we're not used to getting that uh, winter weather that some of the northern uh, places are. And so things shut down here when we get that that type of weather, as you know. I think someone used a pepper shaker. They were like, we were out of salt, but let's try pepper like here on the roads. And it didn't work. Uh, but no, it was, you're right. It was like, so humble brag here. But when I do those national indoor broadcasts, I have to get some sort of workout in in the morning before, because otherwise I'll just go insane sitting around all day. And so literally I could get up at 5 a.m. every morning, go for a run, perfectly comfortable weather. And then, yeah, it was just like soon strikes and it was just it was hilarious it was it added to a fantastic weekend and all that is to say we got the chance to go down to the greenwood tennis center and it was on my bucket list of things you know you obviously just renovated indoors outdoors it's gorgeous if you don't mind me saying and uh, you know again i not to butter you up here early on but how, just having those new facilities it's got to be nice to be able to flex them now here uh these first few seasons yeah, it is. You know, it's um, when, when I came here for my first four and a half, five years, we didn't have an indoor facility and we're driving an hour to practice when it was indoors. And, you know, even though our weather isn't terribly cold here, you know, you still got to practice inside in January. And obviously, if you want to have a, a decent program that's competing at the national indoors and, and playing through, you know, your first six weeks of the season primarily is indoor in college tennis. And to be able to to have a facility that you can train at and develop in and, and do that was 
always a goal and a dream and it was you know a hindrance to our program in the early days but you know we went from having probably the worst facility in college tennis which was nothing um you know <laughs> and having one of the best and, and we're just thankful for the greenwoods and so many people that made that possible and to be able to showcase it last year with the national indoor championships um was a nice bonus after the NCAA championships was canceled. But now we're looking forward to, to the big one in 2024 and continuing to improve our facility and, and hoping that everybody has the same reaction you did when they come back in a, in a few years. We want to give them a show and, and uh, put on a great event. Yeah, and not to harp on this, but I think this is a good segue for us to get into your 2021 season. Let's talk about that National Indoor Weekend because if Pepperdine, Texas in the NCAA Final was 1A, then UNC, Texas in the National Indoor Final was 1B in terms of best matches across the board last season. But more uh, specifically for your school, that Sunday was the best day of tennis I've ever been a part of. Every match going 4-3, and that's why we were up till 2 a.m. And, you know, for you guys in particular, that weekend, you know, COVID bug had struck your team and you had all these different absences. To see the way your team competed that weekend and then that 4-3 result against Georgia Tech seemingly coming out of nowhere, what did that weekend mean for your team and how did that set the tone for the rest of the year? You know, I think for us, um, you know, we had a lot of momentum going into that tournament and and we felt like we were going to have the kids back and, and you know, just within the, the day or two kind of leading up to it, really, you know, the morning of that those Friday matches, it was, uh, you know, made the decision that was probably in the best interest of our student athletes to, to not compete. And that caught us, you know, I think all by surprise in, in some ways. And so it was a challenge and you know our girls the four girls that we that we played three scholarship kids and a walk-on player that we had left went up against ucla and and actually um you know made them work for it at least and uh you know same thing the next day against northwestern uh we were able to get one more kid and and um we had match points in the doubles you know and so the kids started to see like hey we got nothing to lose we'll go forward and um you know we were able to to get um four four scholarship kids against georgia tech five in the doubles and as you said that day to me was one of the best days that's what college tennis was all about because every match was four three every match came down to the last set on the final court and you know our kids competed all the way through i mean we had a girl playing at number five singles that that was the only match she played five singles you know the entire season and she's down five two in that last set it comes back and makes it five all and and the Georgia Tech girl, you know, played great those last couple games and and clinched it for them. But going up against the sixth seed, um, we were just kind of piecing it together. I think it showed the girls that you never can just settle a match on paper and you can't decide a match before you you play it. And for me, I felt like that kind of set the tone for the rest of the day because it really like, you know, when your first match of the day, your 10 a.m. match or 9 a.m. match off the jump is – is a team kind of just hodgepodge putting it together. I think everybody thought this will be quick and then we'll get, you know, we'll keep us on schedule for the rest of the day. And I think just when you're around those tournaments, when the matches are that competitive, it really gets the next match going in a really competitive fashion because they see all the cheering and the yelling and the players competing. And it's, it kind of just is a reminder of like, okay, this is, 
what this what's going to happen in our match and so i think anytime those early matches get off to a great start it, it sets the tone for the rest of the day it was horrifying um for us from a broadcasting <laughs> standpoint it was just like you knew it right away you're just like oh yeah ben i don't drink coffee i pride myself i've got that natural boost um but i was like after the second i was like west off i was like after ohio state northwestern I was like i'm gonna need yeah. something i was like just give me the juice whatever you've got i'll take it um yeah. it was a fantastic weekend of tennis though and you know something we're doing here in our coaching series is talking about some of the rule changes and the big uh topic issues facing college tennis and i thought this was an interesting thing that the hardcore nerds would have noticed last season you guys go i think it was 11 and 13 overall and yet you're able to compete in the ncaa tournament and certainly you look at the zero and three weekend at the national indoors against three of the top 16 teams in the country you take those out of the equation you're 11 and what 10 so you would have been over 500 but the 500 rule was waived last season and i'm curious for you if that's something you would like to see gone permanently what your thoughts are on that rule you know i kind of see it on both sides i think it's great that you know you don't have to worry about the rule and you can kind of go and compete but i think there's something to be said also about winning and i think that you know like you have to you want your best teams in the tournament and people say well you know then the best teams need to all play each other and and not have the fear of of the results and and while i agree with that as well you know i think just from uh an appearance standpoint and an optic standpoint i think it's really important to have you know successful programs as you said you know we went into the tournament 11 and 12 we um then lost that that match and and uh you know for us it was um just trying to get to the finish line last year because that really set us up um with taking those three losses um you know and it was something we just kind of had to wear it when when you know it came down the decision that's what was going to happen and you know then we go and and the very you know next time we play we're at pepperdine and at usc two great programs and the kids are still trying to get healthy and so you really went on a five match stretch there where you know, typically you would think you at least get, you know, maybe one or two good opportunities. And we really didn't feel like we were at full strength in, in any of those uh, to do that. And so, you know, I think the the challenge last year was just getting to the finish line. And so we were very fortunate that the rule allowed that because, you know, um, I think our situation is a great example of, of why that was the case. You know, however, moving forward, I think it's, it's um, kind of, you see it both ways. And I know there's some conferences that are more competitive than others. Um, and some some conferences, you know, uh, in a strong league, the eighth or ninth ranked team may have a losing record in the conference. So, you know, it's really going to be up to them and their non-conference. We don't want to see um, people having to play these double and triple and whatever you call them headers uh, <laughs> to be able to to do that. I don't think that's, you know, fun for anybody either. So, you know, it's probably not a, not a perfect scenario. And I think the argument can be made really I think on both sides, because I think that, you know, to get to the national tournament, you should have to have won some matches. Um, you know, I think with our ranking system, you know, last year, our men's team was something like nine and 13, but they were a top 20 team and, you know, their, their wins were, were significant. And so when you take away the need to be 500, um, you know, you can do some of those things. Um, but I think a team that's going to have success in the postseason has learned how to win. And they've learned how to kind of overcome adversity and do it. So just because you, you know, are a good team and you played a good schedule, I don't necessarily think that should automatically get you in the tournament either. You know, I think you got to be able to show you 
can win some of those matches. So I, I think you can you can really definitely go with it both ways. Um, the teams that are going to have success in the postseason are the teams that know how to win. So I, I think that, you know, is it just getting to the NCAA tournament? Is that just your goal? Then maybe the 500 is a big uh, rule for you. You know, mm -hmm. for us, our goal is to advance far into the postseason. And if I'm worried about the 500 rule, I'm probably not going to have much of a chance at at the end goal, which is is the big prize. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, when you talk about your team last season, it was a young team. Uh, obviously, you didn't have a single senior on the roster, and you're competing in a time in college tennis where there are five classes of players across the board. And, you know, that's a byproduct, obviously, of the extra year of eligibility extended due to covid what did you, you know, what lumps did your team take last season that you think helped you most as you look towards this year? I'm looking, you know, at the results you guys took. Obviously, the 4 2 loss at, uh, to Auburn in the NCAA championships. That's a tough one. The team's certain to remember. But, you know, 6 1 over an Iowa State team. That's going to be pretty good here this season. And, you know, 4 2 over Kansas on the road, 4 over Kansas State on the road to end your regular season. What did you see in the progression from your team throughout the year? And what did you like most about what came together? You know, I think that. Our program, um, you know, leading up to last season for seven years in, in a row, we had been, um, you know, ranked in the top 20. We hadn't had one weekend outside the top 25 um, since 2014. And so, um, you know, for us, the, the goal is always to compete for championships, to be a top 10 team, to be right there in the mix for the Big 12 championship. And I think anytime you're competing for a Big 12 championship, you're, you're obviously going to be a contender on the national stage. And, you know, we've, we've had the um, success of going to Sweet 16 basically every year since 2015. And so then you run up against, um, you know, a season last year where um, we just had, you know, a few things happen to us. We had a kid opt out due to, to COVID. Uh, we had uh, another player that, that tried to start grad school and decided that wasn't for, for her. And she was a two-time All-American. And so, you know, those two losses were significant for us. You just can't replace those two kids. And so, we went into it, as you said, with a very young team, and we always play a really tough schedule. Uh, I think, you know, that's important when the players come here, they want to play the best. And so, you know, there was no easy, um, you know, easy outs on the schedule. But I think what I learned was, you know, we came down the stretch, as you said, and we really needed to win our last five regular season matches, I felt like, to put ourselves in position. And, you know, you're looking at teams like Iowa State, um, you know, who, who went on a really good run at the end of the year, and we won that match 6-1. And then we had two days later a TCU team who was in the hunt at the time for NCAA tournament. We win that 7-0. Then we go, um, you know, Kansas and Kansas State, and both of those teams were kind of on the bubble too. So, you know, really I felt like we, our last five matches, we went against teams that were all trying to fight for their life as well. And if they got a big win, maybe they're in the NCAA tournament, um, you know, and so – I think that was um, important for us and it kind of put our kids to the test and I thought we were we were battle tested and you know it came down to that Auburn match was was a really tight match we were up in the third set of the match that was discontinued and at number one singles so it felt really good about that one just couldn't pull um, one of those last ones off but Auburn had a really good season and 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 fought tough but I think for the kids that returned from last year um, you know I think they understand that there's, um, you know, we kind of say pressure is a privilege and, you know, there is some pressure in our program because of the standard of excellence and success mm -hmm. we've had over, I would say, you know, the last eight to 10 years. And so I think the young kids, um, they let that bother them and affect them a little bit too much last year. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think now there's just a lot of talk of 
upholding the standard of the program and making sure that we get back to that level this year. And uh, I really like the young kids that we have coming in and the mix with the kids that went through last year. I, I feel really good about where we're at. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about all those new players as well. But as you look at last season, and I've got the numbers here in front of me, 29-6 and six overall in doubles matches. You look uh, during the course of the year, you play 10 doubles teams in total. I had another coach when I told them how many doubles teams they played, and I think it was 14. They go, wow, that's really bad coaching by me. Uh, I'm curious for you again, 10 doubles teams last year. That sounds like a lot. Was it just a search for continuity? And, you know, again, how big of a focus has that been for you guys this offseason? Yeah, you know, doubles has always been our pride here mm -hmm. within our program. It's been a big deal. When we made the finals in 2016, we won the doubles point 33 out of 34 times. And mm -hmm. so, you know, our fans, every time we lose the doubles point here, are asking questions like they, they don't know that that happens, you know, and it's <laughs> yeah. like, well, it's normal. Um, but, you know, it's something we want to pride ourselves and get back to. You know, last year at the end of the fall, we had this big 12 individual championship that we did that we just just are coming off of this this last weekend. And, you know, we had three really successful doubles teams. So we kind of thought, okay, that's the teams that are going to go into the season together. And then, you know, um, like I said, I don't want to make the, the COVID situation an excuse, but then you kind of had to shuffle based on sure. who was in lineup. So for three or four weeks, you're kind of just shuffling teams based on who's available to you. Um, and then that kind of wound up some, some of those kids got some continuity and a couple teams surprised us, you know, during that process. And, you know, really, you were just looking for some good chemistry. And, um, you know, I think anytime you're not really able to practice together, train together, it's hard to to compete together. So for sure, doubles is a, is a big part of what we're doing and what we want to do. And um, that's been our focus this fall is to put kids in different positions. We've had a doubles team win a 15K. Um, mm -hmm. We had a doubles team just win the uh the big 12 event that we had here to recap the fall so i think we're finding some pairs that that could work but you know sometimes fall success doesn't lead to spring success <laughs> and so that can be a tricky one and i think that's where we kind of fell victim last year was kind of thinking that maybe some of the fall success we had would carry over and i think that's been a good lesson that our girls have learned probably mm -hmm. most importantly going into this year Mm -hmm. No, and you talk about some of the girls in particular re uh, returning. I want to talk about Ayumi Miyamoto because seven and three at the number three singles position is nothing to you know bat your eye uh, eyelashes, eyebrows, whatever it is for me. It's always eyebrows at. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm I, you know look top of the Big Twelve is really really good this season. We saw what um, I'm black blanking out on the last name Iowa State who just won the regional for the first yeah. time. We saw what uh, she did at the Fall Nationals just last Nacko, week. Maybe. Yeah. Constellation. Yeah, Nacko, there it is. Thank you. And obviously, we know the talent at Texas and Baylor last season, undefeated except for in matches against Texas and Duke at the NCAA tournament. Point is, you know, Texas Tech's been really, really good for a really long time as well. For Ayumi to put together that sort of season last year, that had to have been a bright spot. And what was that? You know, she's one of, I think, three players to end the season over 500 in singles on the, on the team. Uh, that's got to be a bright spot for you all, right? Yeah, definitely. You know, she's somebody that her freshman year was an All-American um, mm -hmm. in, in 2020. She she was an All-American in doubles. Her and Lisa Marie were mm -hmm. number, like, a, I think four in the country um, when, when it was stopped, and they hadn't lost a doubles match. So she's always been a great doubles player. And, and last year, as you said, she, she was able to translate that a little bit more into her singles play. Um, you know, to me, she's one of our most improved players, and she's really starting to come into her own. She's really um, worked on, on her fitness 
and, and that's going to help her become quicker on the court and and working on some technical changes that I think are going to help her in singles. And we're just starting to see that really take shape here. This Big 12 tournament, um, she was able to really rally and and uh, have some good good wins here to kind of close it out. Um, so. Yeah, I think she's somebody that that we're going to be able to count on. I don't know if she's going to have to play as high in the lineup this year as she did last year, but I think that experience is going to pay off for her. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, you know, with that in mind, someone like Wolfberg as well, who had to play a bunch of matches top three and, you know, still did fairly well in those matches. I think eight and eight overall in dual matches, four and two at the number three singles position as well. For those two to get top three reps last year with all of the talent you guys bring in, how valuable is that to have experienced, you know, returners who may get to even move back a spot or two in the lineup? Yeah, I think that's exactly mm-hmm. the point. You know, um, those girls played. A little bit lower in, in uh, 2020 when we were 11 and one and, and the top 10 team and they had to bump up a little bit last year and they got experience playing higher in the lineup and you know look I mean they're definitely capable of playing any position in the lineup those two girls I mean Alana made the NCAA championships and singles is I think 40th in the preseason ranking and and well deserved you know she she battled last year with a hand injury that we finally have gotten on top of and and she had a procedure on her hand that's kind of really kept her out this fall but she's going to be ready to go in the spring and i think she's going to be stronger and better than ever because of all the things that she's kind of been through and battling through the spring like she did last year um and and then obviously some of the the challenges that she had you know early this fall so i think those two girls are battle tested and if they need to play high in the lineup um they definitely will be able to do it i'm not sure they're going to have to but but, you know, Alana is somebody that came in as a very highly, you know, rated recruit, um, mm-hmm. you know, one of the highest rated recruits Americans that, that we've had. And so she has experience all throughout her junior career and here early in her collegiate career uh, of being one of the top players. So I, I think that wherever you put her, she's a competitor and she can play any position in the lineup and she's going to have success. Mm-hmm. And I know Davitella, I think, won the formal award, but Laura Boggs was the MVP, let's be clear, of last year's National Indoors, unequivocally. Just to, to step up in that situation, it, it was beyond impressive. And so, uh, again, I think five returners for you all on the roster this season. You bring in, I think, three, four newcomers as well. Talk to me about the newcomers. Talk to me what you've seen from them this fall. Yeah, so we have three freshmen and one transfer. Yeah. Uh, we have Zarulo, who played number one at Arkansas, pretty much majority of her three years there, and is a transfer in. And she came in last spring and was able to acclimate with us, but had to sit um, because she had played a tournament in the fall. So, um, you know, she's somebody that brings the mentality that we were missing a little bit last year um, in, into our program and just having that leadership. And uh, along with Wolfberg, I think they're the two, you know, kind of, bulldogs on our team that you, you know they're going to give you a chance every single time but it's just because of the energy that they bring and they're the the ones that the fans come to see and you know it's kind of back to when, when you know we had success with an Adamovich or Lushkova or those kids like everybody knew that you know you had to beat those girls and uh, nothing was going to come easy and that's what I think Zarulo brings and you know she's had a good fall she made the semis of a 15k and uh, won the doubles with Orpana who is uh, one of our new freshmen, I think, you know, our two freshmen in Ana Orpana and my Mananchaya, um, you know, I'm I'm shocked that they weren't on the top ten newcomer list. I just I just have to feel and give the coaches credit that they didn't do their research of like, you know, how good these kids are. I mean, they're the two highest rated 
incoming WTA players and <laughs> and they're not even listed there. So, you know, unfortunately because of that, they really didn't get into all Americans or couldn't get into some of these events. So they played primarily pro events and Manichaya made a semifinal of a 15K. Um, Orpana has has done well at, at a couple of 25Ks. And so they've, they've done some, some good uh, things on the pro tour, um, you know, with the pro circuit events around here. And both of them came in with a lot of experience. Manichaya was as high as 14 in the ITF juniors and, uh, you know, came in just inside 600 WTA and same for Orpana. And so, you know, with the ranking freeze of, uh, you know, the ITF pro circuit, a lot of those kids were able to hold on to their ranking, even though they haven't played as much. And those girls, both of them were victims of COVID and not being able to play and, and hadn't played matches in over a year. So this fall has been good just for them to get their feet wet again, like playing matches. And, you know, this past weekend, they were able to play um, the Big 12 kind of fall invite, which was the best Big 12 players here, other than the kids that were at fall, the fall nationals, which is obviously significant because there were some great players there. But, um, you know, the top four seeds um, had Miyamoto at the four seed, but Manchaya and Orpana beat the top, the other three seeds, <laughs> uh, which are three national ranked players between the two of them. So, you know, for our two freshmen to come in and knock off um, the top three seeds of this event, you know, regardless of if, you know, who exactly they were or what their ranking was, it was still significant. And so they did a good job this weekend. And Manichaya with Miyamoto won the doubles. So, you know, they got a little taste of what college tennis is all about here in this last tournament. And I think those girls are really going to make a splash here in the spring for sure. And then you've got Sophia Rojas, who I think is kind of an undervalued American recruit. You know, she was, I think, top 20 in tennis recruiting and, and was always kind of around. But I think that girl played more UTR events than anybody. I would challenge you to find somebody that played more UTR uh, matches than her during COVID. I think she played 80 something matches. And so she's somebody who just loves tennis, loves to play. And you've seen her get a lot better this fall. And she won three or four matches this past weekend at the Big 12 invite and, um, you know, beat some kids or significant contributors and lineups at, at their schools. So I, I think she's going to make a difference for us as well. And anytime you add four people that can come in and, you know, be in the lineup, I think that really makes your lineup a lot stronger. You've convinced me that we made a mistake not including you in our top 10 preseason poll. I'm like, oh my God, we screwed this up. Like, you, <laughs> you've made the pitch successfully. And again, 2016 NCAA finalists, not that far removed. You know what a good team looks like, you know what it feels like in the fall. Where are you with this team? And I'm curious, particularly given the return of individual competitions, the regionals. I know we didn't have pre qualifying at the ITA All American, but got the chance to see your team play pro events as well. How are you feeling in general, just, you know, coming out of this off, uh, after after having a full off season finally compared to last year? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I feel like, you know, we, we know what it takes around here, you know, being the finals, you know, then next year quarterfinals. We, we've, we've seen our fair share of success in the last few years, so I know what it's going to take. We're not there yet, but we have the talent to get there. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a matter of how this team comes together in the spring. I think we will have one of the toughest spring schedules out there. You know, we open up with Princeton and South Carolina at home the very first week of the of the season, and then we go to the kickoff weekend at Ohio State and play them, and then you've got LSU and Tennessee there, and then we also have home matches with USC and Pepperdine 
Plus, you That's know. That's brutal. <laughs> I'm like, schedule. dude, put in my head. Oh, oh, man. I don't know who, who, who put this schedule together, but, you know, we're at UCF <laughs> as well. So, and then the Blue Gray. So, I mean, if we can win any matches during the regular season, um, you know, the 500 rule is going to come into, might come into play. <laughs> yeah. No, but, um, you know, I think that that's why these, these kids come here and they come here to play um, a tough schedule. And I think our non-conference schedule is as good as anybody in the country. And if we have the type of team that really um, shows us what they have this fall, they're going to only get better. And if we do our job as coaches developing them, I think this team will be seasoned, obviously, and battle tested when it comes time for the postseason can we you know can we compete at the highest level this year i think the talent's there i think you know experience was going to play a big factor you still have some teams with a lot of experience because of you know i think this is kind of still one of those last years of, of some of the kids taking advantage of the COVID time and the experience that we just you know we we got caught with a young team at the wrong time uh, a couple years ago and um but I think I really like this team. I like the way that they work. Um, this team is a team that is working as hard as, you know, the, the teams in the past that had a lot of success. And no one here is happy with what happened last year. Mm-hmm. Um, last year just wasn't good enough for our program. And I take full responsibility for that. And, and I think we made some changes to get the, get the roster right back in a place where we can compete again. And you look at it, you know, you have um, – we had that 15k in Norman where Martina was in the single semifinals. And then we had, you know, two doubles teams playing each other. And then Nick Cascaya was playing with McAdoo and the other doubles. So basically three of the four doubles semifinals. And so I think it showed our girls there when there was a lot of college players, you know, even at that tournament, a lot of these 15 and 25 Ks you've seen all the top, top college kids. So, you know, man has played a McCartney Kessler. She's played, you know, Remy, um, you know, who won that tournament mm-hmm. in Lubbock, lost to her 7-6 in the third in a, in a great match. Um, you know, she's played a lot of the top girls in the Big 12 and, and other places. So our kids have seen it. They just haven't seen it in the dual match format. And let's see how that plays out. You never really know. You know, fall <laughs> results don't always translate. Some kids play better when the lights come on and their teammates are behind them. And some maybe struggle a little bit more. So We'll see, but we got a lot of home matches. And and if you look at our home record, since the Greenwood Tennis Center opened in 2014, we've won 90% of our home matches. So um, I think it's a tough place to play. I think that gives us an advantage this season. Well, you better win 90% of your matches somewhere that beautiful. That's good. That's worthy right. of, yeah, that's worthy of the facility. Um, you know, you talk about the pro experience your players got. I'm curious because, and this gets us into a recruiting conversation as well and how I can get into some of the broader topics whether it's Lubbock, whether it's Norman or Ithaca or, you know, Fayetteville this past week, wherever it is, it feels like, I don't want to say you need to be able to host pro events, but it feels like to have a recruiting edge and, you know, again, to prove college tennis is a pathway to the pros to your players, bring in the best pros, give them an opportunity to compete against them. How valuable is that experience? And, you know, again, how essential from a coaching perspective do you feel it is to provide those opportunities to your players? I think it's really important to provide to your players because you want to keep that dream alive and you want to be able to inspire them. And you also want them to be able to see their development. And sometimes they've come in with some pro experience, a lot of these kids, and now that they want to gauge it, okay, now I'm here and have I improved? Well, I need to kind of base it off of a similar result set that, that I'm used to, you know, balancing that off of. So I think it's really important to take them. We had a team this year that didn't really, need for us to host the events because they could get in on their own for the most part and so 
you know, it's easier with some of the COVID protocols to let someone else kind of host it this year and go through it, uh, honestly. So, you know, it was cheaper and easier to do it that way. So that's, that's what we chose to do. But, you know, we're going to try to get our event going back again. We had a 25K here mm-hmm. for three years in a row and, and had a really, you know, great event uh, for a period of time and had some really great kids come through here. It was a good recruiting tool for us. And so we look forward to having it back. But most importantly, you just want to find a way to get your kids those opportunities and every program is going to have a different list of priorities they're going to have a different you know selling point and selling pitch to to different kids but you know we want to help kids here reach the the highest level and so you have to expose them to it you can't talk about it in the recruiting process and then not offer it to them and uh you know i think that's um you know uh what we what we've been able to do here and our kids took advantage of it and had a lot of success and you know, I think there's a lot of schools that are doing it now. It's not something that that is kind of, um, you know, just a few schools doing it. I think it's almost becoming a little bit of the standard. Mm-hmm. And uh, you look at some of these tournaments that we played, whether it was, um, you know, you said Lubbock or Norman or uh, some of the 15K events, especially, it's pretty much a college tournament. Mm-hmm. And um, just, a, you know, kind of a glorified college tournament with, with pro points available. So, Everybody, you know, is is kind of kind of doing that, and and if if not, you need to have probably a good reason why you're not doing it, and and maybe that appeals to a certain kid um, that you know wants to do it. But we sit down with every kid, and you know, if their goal is to become an NCAA champion or a mm-hmm. All American, then then we probably need to have a certain schedule that allows them to build the ranking to do that and and get them prepared for that. If if they want to kind of do a little bit of both, we we want to support that as well. Is there a gentleman's gentlewomen's agreement where it's like you kind of wink at Audra and you're like, "Hey, wild cards, like, don't worry, yeah. we'll we'll hook you back up," and it's just like, let's all facilitate this for all of our players and try and make it easier. Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. I'm not sure that uh, <laughs> with your rival that 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 uh, always works out great, but um, but you know, when when we have something to reciprocate, we'll definitely reach sure. out to certain coaches and and offer that and do that um but yeah you know these events you learn you learn pretty quickly everybody's doing what's best for their program yeah, and they want to get all their players in and so you know sometimes there's not much wild cards left to go around that's fair that. yeah, there's no it's true there's only so many i am curious uh to sort of flip the script here and i want to get back to recruiting but about your team and talking to the sec coaches they talked about how valuable the hidden duels were in the fall and i'm curious if you think that's something that we'll see more of moving forward that we might have cracked the code because again you talked about this earlier yeah, you can put up great individual results. We're not going to know what you look like until you roll the balls out and we see you in that team format. Do you think we'll see more hidden duels over the coming years? You know, I, I'm going to go the opposite way on that. I'm not Ooh. a big fan of the hidden duel at all. Um, and the reason why, I think the fall is a chance for every kid to have the chance to show you how good they can be. And if you start pigeonholing kids in those you know, four, five, six spots, because a hidden duel, you've got to show your hand as a coach in the fall season. You've got to mm-hmm. be able to say, okay, this is where you are. And Maybe the kids know, but, you know, I want to see my number six player go to a tournament and play someone's number one or number two and see, like, you know, can they do it? And and I want to be able to show them, okay, this is the level that you need to get to. You know, we want to recruit players here that are not going to be stuck at five or six their entire career. And I think that's what a fall season of Hidden Duels does. It kind of pigeonholes those kids because, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to put this lineup. And most of the time, your lineup is based on what the kids have done in the past. And so it doesn't give them an opportunity to showcase themselves as much. So for me, I try to stay away from the hidden duels. If it's working for certain schools, then that's good. And I see like that it does put them in that team setting. I get that part of it. Um, 
but I just believe that the fall season should be about individual development. And until that changes, for me, I want to give every kid on our chance, you know, on our, our roster, the same equal chance. And I just don't think that the hidden duels allow that. No, that's most people zig. That was a zag. I like that. That was a good answer. I, mean, was... I got I to gotta be able to, you know, counter you know, counteract that a little bit. And... No, that was a very good case. I, I have no issues with that. I think that's that's about as strong of it. I mean, not saying one argument is stronger than the other, but sure. that's that's the argument. Like a hundred percent. Don't pigeonhole the kids. You want, you know, I'm going to ask you about lawless lineups to get a bit later. Just a sneak preview of what's coming down the pipeline. But absolutely, I want a shot at. You know, Emma Navarro. I want a shot at Peyton Stearns at one of these events. I don't want to be pigeonholed. That's a that's a really excellent point, and that gets me to something we are doing with all of the coaches. Is I want to talk recruiting, but in particular because for a lot of parents, players who listen to these podcasts, perhaps they don't know much about you know every school, and I want to give them that opportunity. Give me the pitch, Coach Young. Why should I come down to Oklahoma State? Be you know join the Oklahoma State team. Well, I hope so far we've made that pitch, you know, with everything yeah. that, that we we said. And I appreciate you being able to come to the Greenwood Tennis Center and say, you know, how special of a place it is. And the environment, I think, here is great, even though we didn't have, you know, a lot of opportunities to have fans during the national indoors. I think we have one of the best fan bases. So I think kids come here and they get to train at one of the best facilities in the country with fans and donors that support them. You don't raise $20 million and build one of the best facilities in the country without having, you know, an army of people that want to see kids be successful. And I think having that passionate fan base and, and support, I think is just uh, phenomenal for the kids. I mean, imagine some of the places where kids work really hard all week long and they walk out and there's crickets, you know, when they're, they're playing their matches. And I think everybody wants to be in an environment like we see in football stadiums or basketball arenas, and they want what their peers have. They want to have that support and, creating an atmosphere and anybody that saw us on our run to the insulate championships in 2016 saw what our fan base can do and and when it's galvanized how special it is so i think it's a chance for somebody to come to a place that really cares about tennis where tennis is a, a sport within the athletic department that is um you know very well received i think women's tennis especially you know there's not too many women's tennis coaches that are also the director of tennis and have the opportunity to um, you know, be in the position that, that our school has given me. So I think women's sports here are very valuable. Women's tennis players are given every opportunity. So if it's a kid that wants to, you know, make a name for themselves or have NIL opportunities and to be able to prepare for the professional tour, um, you know, I think there's no better place that's going to support you than here. And, uh, you know, some people knock us based on location. They've never been to Stillwater. And I just tell people, you just got to come, come see it for yourself. And, uh, you know, look, we don't have some certain things that other people do, but I also think we don't have the distractions. So the kids that want to be here and want to be focused on their tennis, and their tennis development, I think it's a place where hopefully you can see from our development uh, as coaches, we've had an All-American each of the last eight years. And that's not because we're getting always the elite of the elite in recruiting. We're getting kids that are hungry about becoming better tennis players and they come here and they develop. And um, so for eight years in a row, We've had someone develop into an All-American, and uh, you know we're looking for the next ones. So if someone's listening to this podcast and wants to be at a place that's really going to be supported, going to have a great facility to train at every single day, going to be treated like a professional in every sense of the word, uh, I think we can offer that to them. Yeah, and again, I shouldn't editorialize. I'm going to. I was down in Stillwater. 
the athletic campuses are as beautiful as you're going to find. And it's it's honestly a little paradise, like, located in the heart of Stillwater. It's like, these are the athletic campuses. And you're just like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, they, they take it seriously from top to bottom. You can tell. Yeah, and, you know, people probably don't realize we've won 52 national championships, which mm-hmm. there's only three schools in the NCAA uh, that have won more than us. So only UCLA, USC, and Stanford. They obviously have a lot more sport offerings than us. But to, to win that many – national championships every sport matters here every sport is treated equally and i think that's so important you don't see that across the board always mm-hmm. that um you know sports like tennis have the ability to uh you know be a, a premier program on, on campus and the kids feel like they're treated in a, in a fair and equitable way and so as you said we take a lot of pride in the facilities here and what we can offer and uh, you're going to be able to train around some of the best athletes in the world here whether it's future Olympians or professional athletes in their sports, and I think it creates a great environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with that in mind, let's go big picture here, recruiting. Uh, building for the future versus building for the present. Right now in college tennis, you have essentially free agency because, as I alluded to, five classes for all of these spots around the country. I'm curious how you balance those two things, You know, noticing, hey, we're going to need someone to play three doubles and six singles. Let's go grab X on the transfer portal versus – or let's develop this player. We may struggle this season, but 2023, 2024 pays dividends. How do you balance those two things? I think that's exactly the right point. You want to balance it. You know, I, I never try to look at a kid and say, oh, this kid's a six singles or a three doubles <laughs> sure. player or whatever. I think too many times people say, oh, I can get this kid and they're going to win a lot for me at four singles. You know, look, I want kids that can eventually be number ones. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want kids that have the game to develop. And so I think sometimes as coaches, we sell kids short because we already in our minds think this is their ceiling or this is what they are for me right now. And we don't see like, look, like you said, this is what this kid can become. They might not start there. And so I'm going to have to be able to, you know, work through that process. And I think if you're a coach that's focusing on development, you know, you're going to have to be able to kind of ride that wave a little bit. And, um, you know, I think for us last year was an example of that. We have always prided ourselves on consistency and we've been very consistent. And last year, you know, just making the NCAA tournament, that wasn't, um, you know, what we were looking for. But I think a lot of kids got got better because of that. They were put in some situations where they could develop. And now hopefully this year it pays dividends with kind of bringing in some kids that could give us a little bit more balance and, and give us a little bit more strength at the top. And so, you know, for us with um, the recruiting overall big picture for me, I think it's important that we try to put the best team out there every single year. And uh, I think it's really important uh, for us to be able to, allow the kids the opportunity to develop. And so I think that's a, definitely a balancing act. Can mm-hmm. you do both? Um, I think that's the biggest challenge is, you know, you want to be able to have some pieces there that kind of fit. And so, you know, looking long-term while having short-term solutions, I think is the key. And, um, you know, I hope that's a, a good answer to your question. But I think the truth is, you know, with the transfer portal, it has allowed people to kind of fill some holes, whether it may be, you know, short term while some kids can develop. And, um, you know, I think we were able to do that with Zerulo for us, you know, mm-hmm. a kid that came in and even though she couldn't play last year, she gave a lot of great leadership to our girls. And, um, you know, I think she's going to do a lot of good things for us this year. 
For the record, when I said three or four newcomers earlier, why I stumbled is because I was like, well, she was there last year, so exactly. technically it's not a – yeah, so, you know, exactly. I was thinking like you were thinking, as you can yeah. tell. That's Yeah, she's not a newcomer to those that know. Um, but, you know, that's fascinating development, and I'm sure there are frustrations that come along with just knowing now poach – Poaching is a rude word to say, but let's stick with a tennis pun here. That the po- poaching's going to happen, right? Like I feel like it has become more prevalent. Maybe it's just the existence of Parse's account, and Parse just makes <laughs> us feel it that much more. Not to give him that much credit, um, but it does feel like it's become a part of the system. You know, it's so interesting. I was talking to a couple donors about that this um, just last night. They were kind of there's some some supporters of Oklahoma State, but they hadn't really supported our program as much. They came to the tournament this weekend and we're just asking a lot of questions and they're kind of basically you know asking hey when you have events like last year you had the national indoors you know how do all those kids look at the greenwood tennis center and what do they feel when they finally get to stillwater because you know a lot of them we maybe didn't get them on campus on a recruiting visit but now they come to an event like that and now they see it so if you know they're looking another time around then maybe they're gonna be like oh you know that's that was a hidden gem just like you you know just like somebody who, who really hadn't seen it and they see okay you know maybe i thought it was one way and now it's a, it's another and it, it provides me a lot of opportunities and so i think there is that but you know we've always had the one-time transfer in college tennis mm-hmm. but i think now the transfer portal and the fact that a lot of kids their peers are putting themselves in there it's um, made it more um you know more stigmatized almost right right and yeah. it was kind of you know the the transfer before was always kind of like a hidden thing and yeah. you know sometimes kid would show up at different school i'm like i had no clue that, <laughs> that was even happening how did how did you even know you know some of these coaches are getting kids like how do you know all this stuff you know yeah. and um you know now it's like sometimes even when kids go in the portal they you, you reach out to them well i've already got it you know my spot <laughs> figured out i'm like really interesting yeah. so you know i think it is just a, a whole interesting situation um, with everything, but um, mm-hmm. I believe that it will help us at Oklahoma State more than mm-hmm. it will hurt because I think sometimes the things that kids are looking for initially in the recruiting process is not always what they're looking for the second time around in the transfer process. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, name recognition and location, some of those things takes a lot of precedent. And then they go to a place and thought, well, now I've got to actually live here and do it. And it wasn't just what was going to impress my friends it was what was going to give me the greatest experience and make me better and now you know I, I might give this guy a shot who i really connected with in the recruiting process but really couldn't quite pull the trigger i think our sports at oklahoma state across the board have seen that you know our softball team has done exceptionally well um in in softball by landing a lot of transfer pitchers and people that can come in and impact that didn't con- you know pull the trigger on them the first time around and um, same for men's basketball and other sports. So I think it's going to be a, a, a value add for, for Oklahoma State if, uh, you know, if it works out that way. Mm-hmm. No, and, you know, again, with that in mind, I think something else is a new dynamic all coaches are learning to deal with is the NIL-related rules and the idea of profiting off of for athletes, their name, their image, their likeness, and obviously – you know, Stillwater being the sort of city that it is, it's a small, intimate town. Therefore, there are just people more invested in the Oklahoma State athletics. And I'm sure there will be people interested in, you know, sponsoring Oklahoma State athletes. How do you view NIL right now? Obviously, you know, we can do 10 minutes on immigration, talk about why international players should be allowed to benefit on it, or we could save that for next time. But just, you know, where are you with the rules and how do you think they impact recruiting and programs moving forward? 
No, I think it's exactly what you just said. You know, um, we've seen our golf program here, you know, with local dealerships and things like that, wanting their kids, whether it was, you know, we had some golfers playing in the, you know, amateur championship. Mm -hmm. and, and so now they're wearing hats and polos and everything from, from local people because it's, uh, you know, a win-win for everybody. I think same thing for tennis, as you said, the investment that we've shown in, in our program with the support that we get and with the facility that we've built, basically that was not athletic department funded, but was more donor driven. I think it shows the investment that people have in our program. And, you know, as as coaches, we're not able to go out there and, and you know, make promises for NIL. We can just show what's being done. And mm -hmm. I think the kids that are in our program now and the kids in the future are gonna greatly benefit from it at a program like ours because you know, it is a smaller market, but you can be a big fish in a small pond, so to speak, and instead of being in a large market where college tennis is maybe, you know, so far down the pecking order in, in that city, um, you know, for what draws people's attention, that it doesn't make as much sense unless maybe it's a donor that just wants to, to be able to fund a specific player. But, mm -hmm. you know, overall sustainability, I think we're in a position, as you said, with the interest level that is around a program like ours and a market like ours. Um, I think people initially thought it might be a negative for us, and I think it's turned into a huge positive. I agree. I think, and this is, again, editorializing, but I think it's the Lubbocks of the world, the Stillwaters of the world, the college cities where it's just the university is ingrained into the fiber of everyone's being. And I think, for the record, Columbus's and Ann Arbor's of the world, they'll be just fine. Don't worry about that. But I do agree with you. Like, I think it's the college towns. And the Ivy Leagues, because their graduates have more disposable income. So it's like, hey, do you want to be the best tennis program ever? Like, just give me 1% of your signing bonus, please. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, so that's my theory. But I know I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, again, with that in mind, some other big topics. Oklahoma and Texas are SEC-bound. Is that something you think about? Like, is conference realignment something that is hovering on your radar? You know, it's obviously something you think about and you have to be aware of. I think it's always really important as a coach to be educated on all the topics that are affecting your, your job and your career and the way that it's going to work. You know, I don't think they're asking the tennis coaches, though, you know, about <laughs> realignment and what our opinions are. So until they do, you know, I'm going to just save my opinions for another time. But I think it is important that you realize what is out there and what's happening and how it is going to affect. And, you know, I think we've had different recruits and people ask us and I say, you know, look, you can look at the non-conference schedule that you and I just talked about. And, you know, the fact that we have a, the tennis center that we have and the facility and resources that we have is going to really allow us to be a player at any point in time. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it, it is, um, it's really important. You know, the big 12 and, and the SEC are the only two schools so far that have passed the legislation of the additional academic help um, that, that the Supreme court did. And so I think that's going to be a huge, recruiting selling point because you know only two conferences that are going to give an extra six thousand dollars in academic um opportunities to kids i mean how can people compete with that if they're not getting on board with that so i think the big 12 is going to be just fine because of some of the advantages that that we're putting in place and um you know it's unfortunate that those schools have decided to move on because they're two good academic and athletic institutions but I'm, I'm excited about the potential of some of the ones that are joining us and um you know what they're going to add and i think that once they have some of the resources of a conference like ours they may be able to to do a lot more 
See, I heard Bruce Burke and Nick Crowell personally petitioned the SEC commissioner after you hired Dustin Taylor. And they were like, we can't, <laughs> we can't compete with this. Like, yeah. we're, we're out. We're SEC bound now. That's, that's what we're hoping. We're so fortunate to have DT here. And uh, I think he's going to make uh, Oklahoma State men's tennis very strong. Was that a fun process for you? Just being able to, you know, again, I think this is for, oh, maybe not first time, but just be able to really sink your teeth into it and find the guy. Yeah, you know, I think it was, uh, I was involved in it obviously last time. Yeah. Um, but this time, you know, the interest level was um, very high. And, um, you know, I think the opportunities were there. And, you know, it's um, a stressful process in the sense that you want to do the right thing and you want to make the right decision. Um, there's so many ways that you can go with it. And as everybody was well aware of, there was many different ways that we could have could have taken it. Um, and and not to say that any of those were, were bad. We just had to try to do um, what was best for Oklahoma State and the best fit. And, um, you know, Dustin and I are somebody that have had a good relationship before and really excited to be working with him now. It's fun to, to pick his brain. I think he's one of the smartest minds in, in tennis and to have him in the office next to me and on the courts with with me um day in day out just to see the way that he works is going to be a lot of fun it's going to make me a lot better so um very very excited about that process i was glad that it was over when it was um but you know i think it was just interesting you learn a lot you learn a lot from talking to people and 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 you you see okay now i know why this guy's successful you know when you spend an hour or so talking with somebody you're like, okay, now I know why this person has had the success they've had. And, and it's interesting just to hear everybody's perspective on college tennis and, and, and their job and what they would do and how they would do it. And, you know, hopefully it's just something that through that process you learn, you know, I feel like I learned a lot about how I can do things even better by listening to some of the people that have had success that were interested in our job and what they would do, um, you know, from an outside perspective to make Oklahoma State tennis better. Um, so, from that standpoint, um, I felt I was trying to be a little bit selfish as well and learn as much as I could about, uh, you know, things that we could do better here. And um, hopefully we become a better program because of that process. But more importantly, we'll become better because of Dustin. Have you forgiven me for turning down the job yet? I, it was not personal. It was you strictly know, business. I remember that night where, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot happening. And, uh, you know, you were, like, waiting in line for your opportunity. I'm like, okay, Gruskin, like, let's yeah, go. Let's I was just like, give me three minutes of your time. Three yeah, minutes is, of your time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this, is your one, this is your one shot here. Yeah. I, the thing is, all I petitioned for was to be the stringer. And, like, that's yeah. all I was asking. And it was like, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just couldn't get the pay right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But, I mean, we might have to revisit that. Yeah, exactly. We'll work on it moving forward. Again, you're, this, you're talking to a guy who has never gripped his own racket because when you have this smile, you can just be like, can you please grip this for me? And they'll be like, yeah. Hey, sure, with, with the humble brag you started the show with, with, with how you work out and how you <laughs> habits, why do you need to string rackets? I yeah, mean, exactly. You, you that's NIL the, written all over you. Yeah, leave it for the layman is what I've always said. But uh, no, with that in mind, again, some rapid fire questions for you here down the home stretch. Um, you know, again, I'm curious, just some rule changes. We talked about NIL. We've talked about uh, the 500 rule. No warm-ups. Talking to some coaches, some have expressed the idea, just throw in a two- to three-minute warm-up, even if it's just serves and returns at the start of doubles, because by the time you've huddled up, by the time you play the anthem, 15, 20 minutes have passed. Are you fine with the no warm-ups, just get right into it, or would you prefer you know those two, three minutes back? 
So two two quick things. Uh, so interesting that you asked this question. We were just at an athletic department dinner, and we had some of our coaches, the wrestling coaches, baseball coaches. They were like, "I think it's so interesting that you guys warm up with your opponent. Can you imagine like in our sport, we actually like okay, we're gonna toss a little BP to the guy before, or you know, you get to see like his wrestling move. You know, so some of these sports, it was like such a foreign thing to them. They'd come out this weekend, some of the coaches, and they're like, "You guys actually warm up with your opponent before you actually play them." I mean, they get to see like you know exactly how your ball is going to affect them like for five minutes mm-hmm. before you actually play them yeah it is an interesting thought you know so um it's funny that you bring that up now after just an hour ago having that conversation but I, I like the fact that you don't warm up with your opponent i think that anything we can do to speed up the game i think it's really important i agree with coaches that sometimes the way we do the anthem and the way that things have kind of the the pre-match rituals have kind of gone Maybe we need to rethink that a little bit. I think that's more important. We, we still can do so much more, I think, to strengthen the timing of everything, just from the simple fact of buttoning up the match, match experience. Okay. Um, I think there's too much time, and, and sometimes we don't do a good, good enough job of explaining. Like after the doubles, hey, we're about to come right back out and play singles. Yeah. But that five minute of dead time where all the teams disappear from the court, you know, in basketball or football, you know, at halftime, they're coming back out. We got to get yeah. someone that's announcing to the, you know, the person that comes for the very first time. Okay. That was pretty exciting doubles that just happened. Now everybody's gone. Like what's going to happen next. Yeah, I think we got to really make sure we fill that time properly, whether it's with marketing or different things. And, but I think just closing that gap, cause I think people have taken advantage of, like you said, the time after the, the national anthem it's like how long does it take for some of these teams to you know do their their they did 10 chants and <laughs> then they huddled and they did this and it's like by the time they come it has been 10 minutes so mm-hmm. i think there needs to be you know we try to do a, a clock the hour countdown and then that includes the anthem time and the anthem time starts at at four minutes till a national anthem you know typically is just over two minutes so then you got an hour you know a minute and a half to get to the court it, it should it should work pretty closely I think to that. So I think there's some definite things we can do better, but I I like not warming up with your opponent. I like kind of doing it with your team and um, you know, you don't want to get too cozy with the, with the opponents before the match gets started, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's good to get the scouting report, but yeah, no, it's, it definitely, you want it to go as quickly as possible. You want to keep the fans attention. Although two words, if you want to keep their attention between doubles and singles, free pizza. You got it. We've been doing that for forever here. Yeah, exactly. No, I know. I shut it down. I'm looking forward to getting back to it. You know. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I've seen you sneak up and grab a slice. I know what you're capable of, (laughs) Coach Young. That's right. (laughs) Somebody throw me a piece of pizza. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 our new. that's going to be our new gimmick right there is yeah. like throwing the pizza to the coaches in between. Yeah. If you can make it down, can you put it on the plate? Yeah, on exactly. the plate they're going to like toss the pizza there. Just I'm try to catch or it. they serve it or, but it's like, you can't swing at it. You keep it on the racket. It's a little, it's a little like three point shot with the racket. Maybe that's, we'll get the competition. Eat that pizza. That, that means those toppings are like scalded. Yeah. To the, <laughs> You've never had tennis string pepperoni. That's not uh-huh. an option at, in local pizza shops. Wow. Uh-huh. That's surprising. Maybe, maybe. Hey, I'm, I'm always up for, for something to get the fans more engaged. So You've never had a polyester sausage? That's, <laughs> yeah. it's exactly, that's exactly what you All right, think. When you come to, to do our next match, we're going to come up with something there. I like it. No, that's perfect. But, again, speaking of which, fun for you. I've got another gimmick that you guys can start at Oklahoma State, be the trendsetters. Okay. I think the coin toss is a wasted opportunity. Yeah. What we should 
be doing instead one point drop and hit head coach versus head coach winner decides the arrangement on every court so you get the Stillwater crowd behind you drop and feed what do you think I like it I like it (laughs) thank you I would tune in I'd be be so locked in to watch I mean I'm the nerd but like that'd be just delightful and then you could really like get you know, sometimes I've seen first, like a first pitch or a first serve. You know, what if we had like our basketball coach, the football coach, or something against some other celebrity? You know, hey, you can travel with somebody. Your 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 first your first point person, right? And then you can them. I'm in. I just be creative. Why not? It beats yeah. again heads or tails. Like there's no fun in that. I'd also do rock paper scissors between the players because you know Ty Tucker has a meeting where it's like, hey, forty percent heads. Trust yeah. me, that's what we're going. I with. like where your head's at. Okay, we're we're gonna implement some of these. Okay, between, <laughs> okay. we're gonna go like off air and we're gonna implement some things and we're gonna broadcast. We're, we don't even need to broadcast the match. We're going to broadcast like the five minutes before the match kicks off, okay? True story. I asked Tim Russell for 10 minutes at the coaching convention. He said to do what? And I was like, well, I've got some ideas, and then I've got this roast thing I'm working on. And he goes, let me stop you there. No. And I was like, okay. New ideas? No. Yeah. No, no. So, look, I do. I wouldn't let me loose either. I think that was a winning decision from him. Um, all right, lawless lineups. So this is just we're doubling down on the parody on the hometown victories because nothing, in my opinion, is better than good college tennis. And so, and to give the home team a shot in any matchup they play. Away team has to submit the day before. Home team can match up however they want. So that kind of gets back. See how my six singles competes against number one, et cetera, et cetera. Would you be in or no? Ooh, you know, I, I'm always like, I love this type of things. Yeah. So I'm kind of like the renegade. Like I like to, <laughs> to, to like give a challenge. My So like I would, I would be in for it, except no one would travel to play on the road. I feel like that people would be scared of these things, you know, <laughs> yeah. like I, I mean, I can't be the only guy going on the road as their away team all the time, you know? Yeah. So, um, but I like it maybe with, you know, if you had so, what about what about we change it just a little so okay. like have you ever seen so like our golf team actually here is is very good and so when they get to the match play they do it so they let um the home team could could have the first so the way team goes first and they say okay this is my number and then you can match up as you go mm-hmm. so it goes back it's a little back and forth so you say okay the first pairing is this person and i submit this person first and then okay. you pair there instead of maybe going one through six what if you just alternated I'm. I like that too. I'm in. And, and okay, but hey, diff- my number one's going to be this person, and then my number one is this. Let person. me just say, you're the first person who didn't just immediately say no. So honestly, I wasn't prepared for this part of the conversation. See, like I feel an arm you, be, you have to be careful throwing new ideas at yeah, me. Yeah, like, I'm. I'm so. I'm so thrilled here. I'm like speechless, which does not happen. Yeah. I'm in for some alternating or. You pick doubles, we pick singles. Like, just something. Doubles a little bit less valuable is the issue. So maybe you go to the D3 format where it's like everything's worth one um, to make it that much more worthwhile. Why, why, what's the drawback? I mean, what, why are people so nervous about uh, I think it's just the chaos that ensues. And it's also, I mean, if you want the serious argument, it's, I, I don't know why this is the name I turn to, but Mikhail Torpegaard's not there to be beaten up on number six singles the whole time, you know, yeah, especially towards the and, end. Yeah, and so I agree with, with that principle. That's why I'm saying, like, I don't think you can go the one through six, right? I think you yeah. have, like, some parameters where you say, okay, I'm picking this person, and then, ah, 
Could because the truth is everybody's switching one and two or three and yeah. four, five and six throughout the season. So I think there's a way to to have some intrigue in the lineup. I think fans want to be engaged with what the lineup's going to be mm-hmm. a little bit more. And I think you could kind of do that. You could announce it pre-match, you know, 30 minutes before or whatever. The coaches are there, and, and you know, it's like, look, you know, and and there has to be some form to it, as you said, because you know the top players are not going to want to participate if, yeah, you know, and and it's really important for development. But I think the problem for development for me is that as we kind of go back to that hidden duel before, kids get stuck at six for an entire season that limits their development opportunities. So. You know, if a kid's really playing well, why can't I give them a chance to play four? Well, you know, I can't because my number four and five have been winning too, and the rules don't allow for that or whatever it may be. So I would like a little bit of uh, wiggle room in that, and I could I could see it. I can I couldn't go one through six just laid out there, but I think an alternating format with yeah. a couple options would be good. Or pools of players. Here are my top half yeah, three. Yeah. Here are my bottom half three. Match exactly. up as you fee fit, see fit. I like. All yeah. right, I've adjusted that adjustment. I'm gonna, for the record, you'll hear me reference you now in the Power Five conferences moving forward. I'm going to call it the Chris Young adjustment. Okay. I like that. I like that. Right. It's good. Um, yeah. All right, last serious one for you: NCAA wild card. Would you give it out to a winner regardless of nationality? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me, I think that, that that's uh, what makes our sport unique is mm-hmm. that there's players from all over the world. They're coming here with the same aspirations. Um, you know, I think it it's a challenge for the kids because, you know, they come and they work hard all season long. And then it's like now there's no carrot at the end for mm-hmm. them just because they're not American. I understand the USDA premise, and I understand that the wild card into the main draw of the U.S. Open is such a huge thing. That can't be undervalued. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important, you know, and and there's no reciprocation at, you know, the other slams for this type of situation. So I think it's a very complicated issue, but, you know, you'd love to see it, especially if, you know, that player earns it and that player is representing college tennis and, what we as americans you know want to be able to be is is you know uh land of opportunity and so why not give these kids the opportunity i i understand all the ramifications involved and i understand the challenges of it um but obviously as somebody who has a very international flavor on our team um you know i think that it's uh important that those kids have the same opportunities and um, they bring so much value to our program and to our game uh, that I hate limiting them. Yeah, it's like, do, do Petros Risokos and Nuno Borges and Paul Jubb and, you know, again, on the women's side, you can, it's just, you can go on and on and on and on. It's like, do those players add value to the sport of college tennis? And the answer is an unequivocal yes. Now, Absolutely. it's a USDA question. Do you want to promote an American player? Do you want to promote a college player? And I, they view those two definitions differently. I, it's tough. Like I, again, like how I would, how can you argue against some of the players who have run one recently? I agree with you. It's just, I, I, it's nice to have the carrot at the end of that three-week slog stick. Oh, I guess I forgot to throw this at you. Individuals, fall, spring, where are you? I know it's being discussed seriously right yeah. now. I, you know, I think it's it's a neat idea to say, hey, the individual portion is going to be in the fall on the team in the spring and. On, in theory, it sounds great. I just don't know practicality that it works because mm-hmm. I think you limit the field in the fall when you do it because there's so many factors. One, you know, your freshmen, do they get enough experience and opportunities to be able to 
to be there. Maybe there's going to be a handful. I would just argue that our freshmen this year were very undervalued coming into it and thus didn't get into All-Americans and didn't get into some of these events. And so they wouldn't have had that maybe that opportunity, um, you know. And so I think how many dates of competition you would have to use in the fall to get enough, um, you know, data to, to get the right people, that's going to take away from your spring season. I think the spring season is really still the the crux of what our sport is is about. And so, um, you know, you hate to take away from that now to uh, to go to this model. I think there's just a lot of challenges that to me haven't been answered yet. Although in theory, you know, it's great to say, hey, this is the spring part and this is the team part. Um, I'm just not sure that practicality right now, unless some other things change, that it really works well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, the ultimate theory, you'll like this, play it second week of the U.S. Open. Like in theory, that would be like that's exactly how to do it. It's just like that's in theory, my friend. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. Then you could, you know, because um, that's a carrot. That's like, that hey, come back to do this. Right. I agree. I agree. I think there's so so much we could do. You know, they've had the tournament at the U.S. Open with some of the top collegiates um, previously. Mm-hmm. I know, uh, you know, whether it was Virgil Christian or Stephen Armitage or others that did a great job of thinking outside the box there and. I think that it's just one of the ways we can grow college tennis, which to me is invaluable to the USDA because it keeps people playing more. And most of these kids are going to continue to play for the rest of their life if they have a great experience in college. And they don't want to just drop their rackets and never pick it up again. They want to keep going. And, uh, you know, it gave them so much. So I think there's a way that we can that we can do more that I think in turn adds value to the USTA based on what our game brings. And you know, I think our game can continue to make professional tennis stronger and that benefits all of us. And then it just filters all the way through. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I like your ideas. I, I think I could spend <laughs> another podcast with you coming up with ideas. Say, I'm not sure that, you know, I mean, it sounds like we might be um, on an island by ourselves on a few of these, but, um, you know, we're going to have some exciting times trying it. I would say there are worse places to be on an island than just me and you. I feel like we're going to find our way around there. We'll have a good time. Uh, uh, yeah, but with that said, last question to you. When, when fans across the country watch your teams compete this year, what do you want them to take away? I want them to say, man, that was a fun match watching <laughs> that team compete. You know, that's what I always tell our kids. Like, look, I mean, nobody wants to go watch a team where the kids are dropping their head and they're like, you know, showing a lot of frustration. They're not really enjoying what they're doing. If people, if we're going to ask people to give up two or three hours of their time to come watch their match, they want to leave feeling good. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't turn on the TV and you watch somebody that, you know, is walking around just miserable, hating to, to be there. It's like, why do I want to spend my time doing this? I can <laughs> depress myself doing a myriad of other things than watching this, you know. So I think that it's just important for our players. I feel they need to engage with the fans and just enjoy the experience. I think that's part of it. And some people say, well, you know, you have to block it out and you have to be solely focused on each point. And I agree with that. You shouldn't be able to be affected. Um by you know external things but i think it's also important that uh you know when you have a good good point good shot you just you let it loose a little bit you have fun doing what you're doing i think that's so important i want the fans to come and say that was one of the best things that i've done you know when i meet people and they say i came to your tennis match and honestly it just surprised me it was like one of the more fun you know uh, sporting experiences that i've had at oklahoma state I think to me that's that's a win that's that's what we're we're striving for because that's the way our sport grows and the more that our sport grows the more it benefits our players 
and the more resources and opportunities they're going to have. And, um, you know, that's what ultimately it's all about. Awesome. Well, I took up far more of your time than I said I would beforehand. So, Coach Young, I appreciate you so much, as always, taking the time to come on this show. Yes, there will be a third invitation. We okay. just do an oral history of the 2016 NCAA run like because I feel like I haven't dove into that enough yet. But uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, again, be safe, be healthy. Good luck to your team throughout the course of the season. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Take care, Coach.